Radio Cape Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. with me, Mark Penrith, and Peter Smith, your host today, joined by Jonathan Killian. It's good to have each and every one of you in the studio together with us. Who am I? You may ask. I'm the husband of Liesl, the father of Caitlin, Catherine, and Thomas, and a pastor at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. Good morning to our listeners. You're listening now to The Voice of Peter, and I'm married to a beautiful woman named Bridget, and I'm the father of a beautiful three-year-old girl, Emma, and I assist Pastor Jock at his minis- in his ministry at Pretoria North Baptist Church. And I'm Jonathan. I'm the husband of Emma, and I'm the pastor at Grace Baptist Church, Kempton Park. Guys, we've got to think of a joke with uh, three Baptists walk into a radio studio <laughs> or something to that effect. Table Talk is podcast. Check out ino.fm or Apple Podcasts to listen, subscribe, rate, and review. We are a live listener engaged show. How can you join the conversation this morning? Well, you can phone into the studio. Uh, we are standing by to take your calls. The studio number is 012-334-1322. You can drop a comment on Facebook. I really do enjoy engaging with our very vocal and active Facebook audience. The Facebook page where we are currently streaming to is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. And now if you are on Facebook, would be a great time to like and share the post thank you for partnering together with us you can also send in a voice note to whatsapp and telegram stand by to write down the number it is 0826572729 if you're a twit you can tweet on at 657am on the controls this morning pressing all the buttons answering all the calls is our co-labor in this ministry to it's great to be with you this morning thanks for joining us and this morning we are live this is to make you nervous jonathan on 657 a.m radio pulpit 729 a.m radio k pulpit facebook radio pulpit radio console DSTV channel 882, OpenView channel 607, and we are streaming on our website www.radiopulpit.co.za. Wherever you are tuning in, welcome. It's good to be spending Friday morning together. I enjoy Friday mornings. I I really do. I, I love being in, pulp, uh, in in Radio Pulpit Studios. I enjoy spending time with Peter. Um, Peter, one of the great joys of hosting the show together with you is that you and I have been engaging and interacting all week long as well. And I enjoy that. But really, Friday is the cherry on the top because we get to speak to people that we are really getting to know. Um, regular listeners who contribute and engage with us each and every week so if you are out there and i know you are now would be a great time to say hi on facebook or send a hi in via whatsapp so that we can interact with you uh, you may want to say hi and where you're from uh, which local church you attend it's always good to know um who the various different folk are in local churches um and maybe let's just ask a question to kick this morning off I would be interested to know who your, no, did I say who? I meant to say what. (laughs) What your favorite book of the Bible is. What is your favorite book of the Bible? So your message might look something like this. It is Penny. I'm listening in from down the road. Um, I am from Calvary Baptist Church, for example. Penny's a real listener that uh, I have no doubt is listening in right now. And my favorite book of the Bible is, and I'm going to leave that blank, Penny, so that you can fill it in yourself. Um, but if you are listening,
listening in from Witbank or from Benoni or from Pretoria or from Cape Town or Klebecha, we are looking forward to speaking to you. Or if you're Roland Eskenazi listening in from Europe, we would like to listen to you uh, as well. We do say thank you for all the engagements and interactions that you guys send in each and every week. This is a Bible Q&A show, and so your questions are really important to kick us off. And so again, please do send those in either on Facebook to phone into the studio or by sending us a WhatsApp or Telegram. I'm going to update the show notes right now so that it's got all of those details in it. So you can go to Facebook, to the Facebook stream, and it has all the various ways that you can engage and interact with us on the show. You know what? We've asked our listeners what their favorite book of the Bible is. Guys, maybe we should start off by by engaging with the same question. So, Peter. What is your favorite book of the Bible and why? Sure, I'm, I think I'm going to be that guy when someone asks on Facebook if there's a good book about a certain topic. You always have that someone who co- quotes or comments the Bible. <laughs> like the whole Bible. <laughs> the whole Bible, yeah. <laughs> no, just, I, think, um, I think right now my, my favorite book is probably Ecclesiastes. Um, yes. It's a book I've been spending a lot of time with, I think, the last two years, years maybe more. Uh, just appreciate the amazing worldview the realistic biblical worldview that solomon transplants to to the well for us as new testament believers those who trust in christ and how we live in a genesis free world um how we are to engage with this world as believers and how the the only meaning and joy that any person can have is to obey god fear god keep his commandments fast trust in Christ and him alone so yeah that's my, my it's a great answer. overview of the book of Ecclesiastes I, I made a I made a technical mistake when I preached through Ecclesiastes I think the book should be preached through slower than most people do it most people do it a, a chapter a week uh, I, I don't think that you can get the fullness of uh, each logical thought of the author in one chapter a week so 12 weeks through Ecclesiastes but I did Ecclesiastes over two years which is I mean it wasn't quite 104 sermons because there's you know Easter breaks and and Christmas breaks in between but it was a very very long um, a sermon series and 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 maybe I, I overdid it just a little bit um, as I think about it um, however one of the advantages is that you do get to really kind of deep dive and understand the book and uh, Peter I think you did a great um, I think you did a great overview uh, of the book of Ecclesiastes there yes you are that certainly is um, <laughs> Uh, that certainly is the authorial intent. A great sermon series to listen through if you're not looking for Mark Penrith at Crystal Park Baptist Church, because uh, that's where I preached it, would be Joel James mm. at Grace Fellowship. Yeah, I definitely. really enjoyed Joel James's um, uh, sermon series uh, through the book. It was quite helpful to me. And then online, I'm just trying to remember, uh, there's a particular author, um, Paul Apple, commented yes. On Ecclesiastes, you can find his commentary on Ecclesiastes for, as a free download off his website, or by going to Precept Austin. Uh, that website has got the Paul Apple series, and then William Barrick, who is, I think, a professor at Bill Grace. Barrick. Bill Barrick. There you go, William. Well, William, maybe it is Bill. Maybe, well, yeah. Bill, Bill Barrick. Um, he he actually was the bee's knees when it came to uh, prep. I really enjoyed his commentary on the book. Also, now um, I think. 
I think he might have finished it by now, but on, on YouTube, the founder's YouTube channel, yes. Tom Askell, yes. he did a, a series through Ecclesiastes. I followed it about until halfway through until, you know, life just got busy. Yes, uh, yes. But it was brilliant. Yes. Very, very good. I also recommend Tom Askell. Look, and I, I, would, I would encourage people to read the book of Ecclesiastes more. It's, it's kind of like the book of Proverbs where, mm. um, where, where on the first read, you think it's, you know, pithy sayings. But as you read it more and more, it comes closer and closer to home. It, it, it's, it's almost like a book that was written 2,000 plus years ago, <laughs> and yet it was written for 20, with 2023 hmm. in mind. That, that book is actually one of the books that the Lord used to lead me to salvation. Because wow. before I was a Christian, yes. I was very much interested in uh, what, what is called Stoic philosophy. Yes. Uh, it it was at that time one of the world views or, or approaches to life that m- made the most sense to me. Yes. Um, but there was still a lot lacking. And then someone recommended I, I read Ecclesiastes. I didn't know it was part of the Bible. <laughs> I read it. Yeah. Um, and that book just contained and captured certain elements to life that I didn't know, but I, I knew something was missing within the Stoic worldview, this Greek philosophy. Yes. Um, and the Lord, I think, maybe used that as one of the first stepping stones to put me on this journey of reading the Bible and, and, and knowing Jesus. So I, I love that book. It's very sentimental. Man, that's really <laughs> cool. I just see we've got a couple of uh, listeners uh, coming in on the conversation. So I, I want to say hello to Emmy, who's listening from uh, Nieuwe Begin, Gemeente, PPRK, Newlands, Johannesburg. And my favorite book is Revelation, uh, after Dr. Monet de Beer wrote his book on Revelation, because I've begun to understand what it means and what we are waiting for till God comes back. Thanks very much for that uh, interaction, Emmy. And you're right, the book of Revelation is a wonderful book of the Bible. Jesus is the winner. The victorious champion of heaven returns. I, I mean, it's just, it, it is, it's fantastic. And then Glenn, uh, morning Mark and guests, Glenn from CFC, Johannesburg International, listening on the radio and on the road working. Uh, my favorite Bible version is CSB, the Christ, that would be the Christian Standard Bible. My favorite Bible books are John and Matthew. Happy New Year's blessings. You can't go wrong with the gospel, gentlemen. Um, yeah, enjoy that. Uh, Jonathan, let me bring you in here. Um, favorite book of the Bible and why? So I was actually going to go with Ecclesiastes myself. <laughs> 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 but uh, for the reason that it really shows us our, our hopelessness apart from Christ and what that looks like in every every avenue and facet of life, the sense of uh, trying to, to shadow box and grasping off the, the wind and that sense of it being heavy uh, vapor, mm. you know, uh, Anything apart from Christ is that. Uh, there is no meaning. There's no sense to this. You're always going to be grasping at straws uh, apart from the hope and joy and, and meaning we have in Christ. Um, so, yeah, I was going to say, say Ecclesiastes myself. But now, but, what's your second favorite? Yeah, now, now you uh, have to go with number two. <laughs> and that's where I thought that was going. And I find myself always tending towards, uh, as a second favorite, uh, the book of Whatever book I'm preaching through, it's just... <laughs> you just uh, took mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and isn't that a joy that uh, God's word is, is it's, it's alive, it's active, it's, yes. it's powerful. And wherever we are in the Bible, there's, there's just such joy there. Um, yes. So at the moment, we, we're busy preaching through Genesis, and that's, that's just wonderful. Uh, 
Is there a book of the Bible that you circle back to over and over again? Yeah, 1 Timothy for me has always mm. been a particular um, favorite as well. Um, you know, the sense of uh, what healthy churches look like. How do we contend with for the gospel in every avenue of life from, uh, you know, the proclamation to what do... How, what should our our structures look like? Our, our elders, our deacons, uh, uh, the, the the plurality in that, and how that that plays out into every avenue of the local church, and the emphasis of the reality that we contend for the gospel, we wage the good warfare of the faith, and that's applicable not only to uh, a pastor but to all believers, um, yes. you know, and. I think that's a beautiful picture because you can't make healthy disciples if your church isn't healthy. Okay. Um, Yeah. No. Like that. Thanks, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, just very interesting. Ecclesiastes, obviously, a favorite book of mine. I've I've really enjoyed Ecclesiastes. Uh, 1 Timothy, one of the first books that I preached through, um, trying to put down those kind of, uh, those understandings of biblical church leadership and and the church when I was uh, planting uh, a very small community church at that stage. Um, And so, yeah, I, I see the value in both of those. And also the answer, whatever book I'm currently preaching through really does capture my heart and my mind mm-hmm. but if there was one book that I circle back to over and over again it would be the book of Colossians mm-hmm. and it would be the book of Colossians for two reasons the first is the presentation of Jesus in chapter one I, I find it arresting I find it startling um, it, it is just incredible to me that the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior um, I, I, I love this this picture of Jesus this mighty um, transcendent and glorified picture of Jesus it gets me excited and then I think that Paul's practical wisdom in the second half of the book is just um, again it's so useful to laugh it's it, it speaks to my heart I've enjoyed it I've taught it a number of times in Bible study I've preached a series through it again. I preached far too long <laughs> through the Book of Colossians. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I've started to get a little bit faster in my preaching series, um, so that I don't miss the forest for each individual tree leaf, <laughs> rather than just individual trees. Um, but yes, certainly did enjoy the Book of Colossians and would commend that. How do you get into a book like Genesis? So somebody listening on the radio now goes, hmm. Jonathan's favorite book is Genesis. How would you suggest that they read through the book of Genesis? From beginning to end. <laughs> <laughs> Pace yourself one sitting, what's yeah, it, 50 chapters? I think there's value in both because if you if you do it in one sitting, you get this this broad sweep of, of what God is doing throughout yes. the book. But if you, you slow it down chapter a day, two chapters a day, you're getting into the specifics because it really is a book that is is so rich in terms of uh, you know the themes of blessing beginnings uh, yes. everything that that plays out in the book and you get a broad sweep um, as you uh, read through the book uh, in, in one sitting and the, the picture of how that comes as a, as a blessing to, to all mankind through this anticipated uh, savior but if you slow down as well you, you see how that's highlighted and how that's accented from, from chapter to chapter uh, I'd highly recommend though uh, jump uh, just to give a, a good overview of it jumping in in chapter one uh, looking at the blessing in, in verse 28 of uh, be fruitful and multiply and then coming to Jacob uh, on his deathbed in chapter 49 one chapter before it closes looking yes. at how now he's, he's blessing his sons uh, one by one and, and through Judah there's this anticipating anticipated Messiah uh, through which um, 
all mankind is to be blessed. And it's, it's just a wonderful mm. uh, picture of how uh, God's plan of salvation has been from the beginning. And what an encouragement that is to, to us as believers. This has been, uh, this has been God's plan uh, from the very beginning. So chap- chapter 1 and chapter 49 as a book end to the whole book uh, as an overview and then Top jump in. Yeah. yeah, and jump in and just, just take in all the, the richness that that is. Um, another, another option for reading through the book of Genesis is to read 1 to 11 as a unit and then read the four patriarchs, um, yeah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, um, yeah. and, uh, and cover each one of those in their sections uh, yeah. so mm. that you get that full kind of narrative thought and, you, and uh, uh, yeah, a five-day reading plan. A, a great <laughs> source that I discovered on Genesis and, and maybe you know about it is by a scholar, a Jewish scholar named Robert Alter. He, he has his own, he, he translated um, his own version of the, the Pentateuch. And what I appreciate about his translation, especially some of his footnotes, is his, his translation is focused on trying to be, you know, true to, to, to the literature. But he also tries and bring out some of the, the poetic elements that mm-hmm. we lose in translations. Like, for example, certain rhythms and rhymes that is in, that you find in the Hebrew text that you miss in, in English. And not just for the beauty sake of it, but that's important as well. But also how, how some of these poetic elements uh, point to certain emphasis that, mm-hmm. that the writer is making. Uh, so I, I bought myself a copy of, of his translation of, of the books of Moses, and that has been such a blessing being able to read Genesis, um, especially because uh, a lot, uh, also he did the Psalms, but the, the, the poetic pieces of mm-hmm. the Old Testament from someone who, who he's fluent in, in both ancient Hebrew and modern Hebrew mm. and he's, uh, he's, he's highly accredited in, in English literature so he has an appreciation for the, the literature itself yes. and that's something I, I love I, I appreciate that so the book of Colossians the best commentary that I read was was an anti right commentary oh, and the yes. reason why I enjoyed it the reason why it was the best commentary for it wasn't because of Pauline perspective or anything like that we can get into that another another session but but N.T. Wright pointed out something that I hadn't observed in the Greek text before, and that was uh, a, a form of Hebraic prose mm. that was the whole way through the book of Colossians. After I saw that, um, I started noticing that just these elements of poetic prose all over the mm. New Testament in the epistles. Um, probably my favorite translation that captures that in its essence would be the Christian Standard Bible, which was actually mentioned a little bit earlier. But the Christian Standard Bible in the New Testament captures um, elements of, of song and, 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 and italicizes it and, and kind of sets it in the same way that they do the Psalms. Very, very helpful. So, I mean, an example would be Colossians 1, 15 to what, 23, that, 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 that kind of, um, what, what might be a hymn declaring the glory of Christ, but just the way that the hymn is laid out, it seems very Hebraic in nature. Um, and certainly do enjoy accessing the, the literary side um, of the books. Yes. Hey, there's a there's a question. Well, first a, a greeting that comes in from Grace. Morning, Grace. Listening from Daviton Benoni. Hey, great to have you with us, Grace. Thank you for joining us. Hope that you enjoy the show today and that you learn about Jesus Christ and love Him all the more for it. Um, this isn't laid out as a question, it's more laid out as a statement, but I, I think we can engage and listen in a little bit on it. Bar Scott says, 
the Apostle John taught how the command to agape love others fulfills the intent of the law. You simply can't agape love others and break the Mosaic law. Uh, then uh, those that claim that agape love leads to lawlessness simply can't, uh, simply haven't fulfilled Yeshua's command to agape love others. When Paul stresses that we are not under the law, he doesn't mean that the law was done away with either. He simply means that the new covenant provided a better way of fulfilling the law. As Jeremiah 31 says, God will write the law on our hearts. That doesn't mean that God just wrote the 613 laws in another place, from stone to letter to heart. It means that God provided a better way to fulfill the law. Nor is agape love just a feeling that you have. True love will lead to actions of love for your brothers. And then there's a quote from John 13, 34 and 35. The quote is, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now there's, there's a lot going on in um, that statement it hasn't been phrased as a question but I, I think we can engage on it as a question let's start off by just talking about love let's talk about love when we read love in the bible what are we reading peter what, what is the word love in scripture sure. and, and what what's this agape thing that's going on here so um there's a lot of great people i can quote that give good and and puffy definitions on what love is uh, I think one of the the best that I've recently heard I think it's from Paul Tripp where he says <clears throat> sorry where he says love is seeking and doing what the what is good for someone else even at cost to yourself mm. um, self-sacrificial yes, love that was very I think that was very concise in, mm. in, in summarizing it and then yeah he specifically mentions the Greek word agape you know which which there's a lot if you google it you can get a lot on on that word some things over the top some things valid mm. um, but just this em this emphasis of unconditional love mm. um, and um and what I appreciate about the comment is that uh, that uh, love does not lead to lawlessness. I think is actually very well put because that let's, that reminds me of John fourteen verse fifteen, mm. where Jesus says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Mm. Um, our obedience to the Lord is not based on on our desire to 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 go want to go to heaven but our obedience to the lord is based on our love for the lord we yes. we obey him because we love him yes. we don't obey him to be loved i yes. think that's a crucial distinction yeah anything to add there jonathan i think the the comment is in incredibly helpful and and kind of follows the sense that we find in in the ten commandments itself you know loving god is is flown into our, our love of of one another um as we express that love for God, as we as we worship Him, that that does play out into our love for for our fellow man, uh, but particularly uh, fellow believers. Um, mm. I, I may, maybe a couple of things just to say on love itself. Um, the word love existed in terms of agape before John used it, but he seems to have appropriated it from the Greek language and applied it in a way which was unique and changed the way that it was used forever. 
um, agape becomes a divine love. It becomes self-sacrificing love. It becomes love in its purest and most fullest essence. It can be compared to other forms of love. Um, we talk about a kind of brotherly love. Philadelphia, the the city of love, uh, is related to the the the, the Greek word uh, that's used for love. Um, a more kind of charitable, uh, not charitable, a more kind of brotherly affection, one might say. And then eros, which would be kind of like a deeper stirring sexual desire that a man might have for a woman, um, kind of love. Agape love stands separate to that and is used bountifully <laughs> in the New Testament. I mean, it, it really, it, it's used a lot in the words of Christ, in the words of all the writers of the epistle, um, and certainly in the words of John, the disciple whom Christ loved. Uh, and so this agape love is is almost hard-baked into the essence of who God is. We talk about the attributes of God, God being holy, 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 that's holy to the nth degree, and we talk about, like, what is God in his essence? And one of the things that we know about God is that God is light, and we know that God is love, and the type of love that God is is this agape love. Now, God, who is love, is in no sense lawless. God is in no sense lawless. He is in no sense given over to licentiousness, um, nor will he suffer the lawless, even in his presence. Uh, and so certainly agape love doesn't give us freedom um, from the moral law of God. Um, I do think that it that it is necessary to point out, though, that Jesus Christ came and filled the law in its entirety. Mm. Every jot and tittle, he fulfilled um, the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but he literally, Jesus Christ, stood in our place and fulfilled the law that we could never fulfill. Um, and and and. And we are still, as believers, under command. Um, we are motivated differently uh, to those who are legalistic, though. Uh, that is important mm. to note. Jesus mm -hmm. had no place, no time for legalism. Um, he did not desire um, uh, circumcision. He did not desire even offerings. Mm. He, he desired the circumcision of the heart, a heart which was given wholly over to him. Um, the description of of how we are to relate to God is love the Lord your God and that would be agape love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul your mind your body your strength everything that you have yeah. is to be to God um, but it is to be love that motivates all of that and so um, the fruit of salvation is obedience to Jesus Christ um, salvation itself is a heart stirred in love towards God. I've spent quite a bit of time. Yeah. Uh, a person actually asked a question uh, online regarding catechism. Well, didn't ask a question. They also made a statement uh, regarding catechisms and creeds and the use of the word love and particularly God's use of the word love. And um, God is certainly described in the creeds that, that I read, the Westminster and the um, 1689. Uh, the love of God is described there. But it's very interesting when you look for the word love in the creeds, love is only described of God once. Our love for God is described, uh, I'm going to take a guess, seven times in both the Westminster and the 1689. Um, and by that, um, I'm sure that the divines, and by using the word divine, I just mean the guys that wrote the creeds, um, really understood that if we are to be motivated to mm. good works, it must be a motivation of love for God that spills out in obedience toward him. Definitely. Actually, interesting 
yesterday in the year 1538 there was a big debate that was happening come on now <laughs> 1538 who was debating in 1538 uh, martin luther martin there luther. you go tell <laughs> us a little bit about martin luther so uh, this is not the the church history segment this is just related <laughs> okay. to the topic how uh, do you know uh, how uh, does anyone know that this day in 1538 martin luther was having a uh, how do people know that email subscriptions <laughs> that's crazy who are you subscribing no. to um well there's a there's a few actually i'll share it, but uh, there's a few websites called like today or this week or this month in church history, those type please, of websites. Please drop those all in the show notes. I have so, no doubt a couple of people will so be interested in it's that. It's very relevant to this discussion because yeah. there was a debate that, that Martin Luther was invited to speak uh, or to engage with regarding his stance, his, his retrieval of the old truth that we are saved by grace alone, not yes. by grace and good works. Yes. And the objection was that if we say that people are saved by grace alone, that will lead them to live lives of lawlessness. Or the, the yeah. fancy term that was thrown in the debate, if you read about it, is this term antinomianism, to, yes. be, to have no law or against the law. Maybe, maybe say the term again and say the definition again, because it's actually an important term and an important definition. If you read Puritans, if you read church history, if you read even contemporary speakers, the, the word antinomianism is going to come up a couple mm. of times. It's related to the word nomos, which means law. Uh, maybe just give the word and the definition again. Yeah, if I'm, uh, that's if I'm pronouncing it right, antinomianism, yes. uh, meaning against law or no law. Um, and and uh, the accusation against Martin Luther and the reformers were that if they preach grace alone, that people are saved by grace, it will lead people or cause people to live with grace as a license to sin, to live in sin, to live lawlessly. Mm-hmm. Lawlessly. In fact, this is a contempt. This isn't just something that was discussed in fifteen. Did you say thirty-nine? Thirty-eight. Fifteen thirty-eight. Um, very recently, just a few years ago, one of the grandchildren of Billy Graham, uh, a pastor in the States, who eventually fell into sin, uh, like grievous sin. Um, so I'm not going to name him because it's not really important right now. Um, but he was making that argument sure. um, wow. that that we're not under law, we're under grace. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I've I've also heard a couple of false teachers, um, and I'm thinking of one um, false teacher that comes from the um, the continent of Asia in particular uh, that that talks about free grace, but mm. not in a kind of reform sense. He he talks about a kind of a cheapened grace, a, a grace that means that I must never refer to myself as a sinner, and yeah. um, because I'm saved, and therefore God doesn't view me as a sinner, and therefore. You know, there's no need to confess. Uh, just some really, really bad stuff. Yeah, and, and that's a shame. Um, but I, I think how Martin Luther responded to the, that same criticism in his days still relevant to us. Martin Luther went to to Titus chapter two, yes. specifically verses eleven to to. Oh, I'll read for us if you don't mind up sure, until fourteen. Martin, uh, he wrote, he read this probably in Latin or German. I'm I'm going to read the English for us if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself 
for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Martin Luther <coughs> made the argument that the grace of God not only saves people, yes. but trains people. It sanctifies you. Yes. Evidence of God's grace, saving grace in your life is that you will be conformed to the image of Christ, that you will be trained for holiness. Uh, and, and that's so profound because that shows us that grace, the grace of Christ, isn't the first step in the Christian journey. It permeates. It is the Christian journey. There is no Christian journey without grace. Yes. Because that's how we start. And it's by the grace of God that we are made holy. And it's by the grace of Christ that we will one day reach the gates of heaven. I, I'm not trying to help Martin out because he was quite capable of debating all by himself. Um, but I would also appeal to the writings of Paul. Paul himself anticipates that his grace will be misunderstood. Mm. He writes the book of Romans, he writes the first five chapters, he gets to the, and he's just talking about salvation. He's talking about the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's talking about the fact that there's no one righteous, no, not one. He gets to the end of his um, ideas in chapter five, and he's built up this case that if we are to be saved, it will be by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And then he anticipates the objection and chapter 6 opens with the words, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer is by no means. It is an explicit statement. It is a, a, a statement which is loaded. In the English it ends in an exclamation mark. And he says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, we are saved by grace alone. But grace alone cannot become an argument for licentiousness. Um, we are saved by grace alone, and that grace compels us mm. to both love God and be obedient to him. And now we're not talking about legalism, because legalism is, let's say, obedience without the motivation of love. It's obedience for the sake of self righteousness um, whereas those who are compelled by love have recognized that they are not self-righteous that they need a righteousness that comes from another and they see the man Jesus Christ dying for their sins and they recognize that he is God sufficient to pay for their sins and uh, and call on his name Amen. I love Jesus. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was also Martin Luther who commented on that, that uh, Romans 6, where, where he just mentions that we are saved by grace alone, but grace never stays alone. That yes. the fruit Ooh, yes. of, a, of a life, of a heart that has received grace would be works, good works, holiness. William says to a previous question that we asked, favorite book, um, says Psalms, and uh, Maria says, thank you, God. Amen. Jonathan, anything to add to the conversation so far? Yeah, I think uh, just just in light of of grace, I like what um, Peter said at the end. Uh, grace doesn't stay alone. Yes, and, and I think that therein is is really the the proof of a, a life that has been completely transformed by grace. Is there is an outworking? Yes. There is a, a a pouring out. There is a a love for one another. There is a an obedience because why would we not want to obey the Lord? Why would yes. we not want to? be involved uh in serving him in in loving one another if um i mean why wouldn't we want to do that why wouldn't we want to demonstrate our love for god yes. uh, it's it's all the it's all worship it's all obedience it's all it's all grace uh from beginning to end and i 
I love uh, Hebrews 12 in that, uh, that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's, it's Christ's work from beginning to end. <laughs> what a joy that is. But it, there must be an outwork. And it is Christ's work from beginning to end. You, yeah. you, I mean, th- this, this affection, and it's a holy affection, and maybe just to deal uh, with something that was said by Bar, and thank you very much. You've really given us a, a conversation to speak about, uh, that agape love is, is, is uh, not just a feeling that you have. Uh, true love will lead to actions of love for your brothers. Y- you are right in saying that, that agape love is not just a feeling. Agape love... Uh, is a motivation which results in actions. Uh, it, 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 it has to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a propelling love, but it, but it, uh, it is an affection, um, and yet it's commanded. We are commanded by God to love God. God commands us to love Himself, but that which God commands. Um, and yeah, I'm thinking of a book by John Piper. I read through it with a Bible study a few years ago. Uh, the name, I think, is what God demands from the world. It might be what Jesus demands from the world. It's available from desiringgod.org, and it's a free download book, um, well worth reading, um, very provocative. But what John Piper says is that which God commands, God enables. And we see that in Scripture. God commands us to love us, uh, to love himself. And yet we read in Scripture that we love God because he first loved us and that God is the source of all love and that God pours love out into us that we might overflow in it. Um, We have a remarkable Savior. Janice Mm. from Cottonville says, I attended Unshakable Church in Cottonville and my favorite book is the book of Hebrews um, because it shows the majesty of God. Now, the book of Hebrews is a, I mean, Janice, great choice of books. The book of Hebrews, really, commentary on the Old Testament, um, divine commentary on the Old Testament, a, a mag- majestic uh, piece of writing. A couple of years ago, I read a, I think it was a master's thesis by a guy called Lance Lawton who wrote on the book of Hebrews. He actually wrote, uh, he, it was a very myopic piece. He, he wrote, I think, on the introductory um, sayings to the quotations in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Just like a sliver of a sliver of a sliver of a writing. But but he made some he made some wide commentary on the book um, in his opening chapters or maybe closing chapters um, that really introduced the book to me. A fascinating piece of writing by Barnabas. Anybody got anything to say about that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> As to who the writer of Hebrews was. Peter, um, as we are talking, I see you have uploaded into the comments section a link to desiringgod.org. That's our free giveaway for today. <laughs> is a uh, comment on the show notes uh, on the comment section of our live Facebook stream uh, and the books, What Jesus Demands from the World. Very accessible book. I think one of the easier Piper books uh, to read that I've read. Actually, I I recently picked up a Piper book, which is only two pages per chapter. So (laughs) maybe that's the easiest one to read. (laughs) Um, But but I certainly enjoyed what Jesus demands from the world. Brother, when we talk about church history, you've got a couple of minutes uh, Mm. before the hour is up. Can you believe how fast time flies on a Mm. Friday? When we talk about church history, what did happen in this week of church history? Well, let me again ask you guys a question. When I'm going I'm to mention a name, I'm going to. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Eyes closed. I'm thinking. Go for it. Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> first thing that comes to mind. 
Prince of Preachers. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, you probably beat me to it. Now all I've got left is um, 22. 22. Yeah, did you see I left the pause after that? Because then you think, well, what has 22 got to do with Spurgeon? Something there's, about his age. No, there's at least, <laughs> well, you're right. But he, in fact, he started earlier. I think mm. he started at 16, and by 21, he had started Spurgeon's college. But 22 is the number of Baptist pastors in South Africa that were directly sent out by Charles Spurgeon sure. that I've tracked. So there was a time that I was the archivist for the Baptist Historical Society, which basically proves that I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> but while I was doing that, I, I, I had the opportunity of looking at the founders of the union and how many of them were graduates of Spurgeon's College and how many of them actually came across um, uh, directly sent um, by Spurgeon uh, to plant 1689 Baptist churches in the Eastern Cape and there and there's about. Anyway, what is, uh, sure. t- tell us about Spurgeon. So, yeah. So, I like Spurgeon. Yeah, same. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of profound things about Spurgeon. Like, he, he's, he's known today as the Prince of Preachers. He was a profound writer. Uh, he transformed the way modern ministry is done. For example, uh, from his ministry, I think he was like the de facto chairman of like 66 different organizations <laughs> that their church founded. Like, yeah. uh, or. Uh, Charities that give um, food and clothes to orphanages, to charities that that uh, collect funds to buy books to send it to rural pastors, so that they can have resources to to use in their ministry. So he he did a lot. He he founded the the Spurgeon's College, as you mentioned. Uh, and so Spurgeon, he might have been younger, by the way. Yeah, uh, twenty one came to mind, but it, it might have been before that. I'm not sure, but it, it would make sense. He started preaching and pastoring, uh, you know, officially at the age of sixteen, going on to 17 and he was called to to go to london at the age of 18 started pastoring uh, in london at the age of 19 uh and when he started the the church uh, a handful of people shot up to like 200 people and within a few weeks and then within a few months it shot up from 200 attendees to 2000 um and so he, he he was known as having a profound gift of teaching but but not just that he was a good speaker the people in his day and age uh both compliment and criticize him for the way he preached the bible um because in those days it it seemed maybe i don't know if it was all of the english world but at least in london the preachers were known of uh, known for using the the academic language yes. in the pulpit uh, they would be called professors that's right and spurgeon was just preaching the gospel or the bible in the everyday man's language yeah uh and so the media would lambast him saying it he's vulgar uh he doesn't respect the pulpit or but the people loved it the people were hungry to know what god is ta- teaching them what yes. god wants them to know from his word and that's what spurgeon did and i'm sure of anyone who's read any s- literature from spurgeon whether it be a booklet a pamphlet or a, or a sermon like Spurgeon is the master of the metaphor. I don't think like I, I think he'll give Shakespeare a challenge in his use of of metaphors. Like, I Spurgeon mean, really, is profound. A unbelievable writer. You, you, I, I've accessed Spurgeon, possibly more, but certainly um, in relation to any other writer, I've 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 read Spurgeon sermons, and. Uh, in much the same way that if you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it is filled with rich metaphor, so too Spurgeon. Spoken metaphor, just kind of 
poured out of his poured out of his mouth. I've, I've mm. got I've got handwritten Spurgeon sermons, interestingly, wow. uh, that I've that I've handled at the Baptist Theological College, and um, his notes were terrible. I mean, he just like <laughs> scrawl. Uh, in fact, the, the one that I've got, I tracked it to the actual sermon that he preached. He he only writes out his first two points. He doesn't write out his third point. That came to him while he was preaching, and just a couple of little jots of scriptures, um, and then the rest was ex. Temporaneous. In other words, he didn't preach from a manuscript. He, he preached basically from mm. from 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 the pulpit uh, as as he was as he was under the anointing. <laughs> um, but but what a master of the use of the English language, truly. Definitely, and a deep knowledge of both. Um, uh, uh, writers, yeah, I don't know if he had an eidetic mem- memory, but but he certainly could call to mm. to mind that which he had read, um, and then the use of 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 hymns. Um, often, as you get to his third point before you get to his conclusion, he had burst out in hymn mm. uh, and and kind of like. Rip- Peter refrain like the third verse of this hymn or that hymn. It was quite a, quite extraordinary. He definitely had a, a brilliant mind. He had a, a very blessed, gifted mind. Um, there's this one story that he recounted when he was a little boy. I can't remember what the age was that he mentioned, maybe six or seven years old, when he was still living with his grandparents. He, he mentioned that his, his grandfather said that he'd give him a penny or a shilling. I can't remember what it was for for every hymn that he would memorize. And eventually he, he started memorizing them so fast, like a hymn a day, that he said his father changed the terms of the agreement that said for every rat that he captures in the barn, he'll get a, a shilling. As a Spurgeon comments that he exchanged, he exchanged occupation from him singing to rat catching <laughs> at a young age. Yeah. So he had, a, he had a brilliant mind. But one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Spurgeon is that he, he actually seemed to have suffered from some case of severe depression. Uh, melancholy yes <laughs> that's that's what he calls it um yeah. uh, he calls it a darkness that 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 consumes his soul sometimes um uh, and especially now this was the time of the year where the what they call if i if i remember correctly the surrey gardens musical hall tragedy yes while he was preaching there were some some troublemakers who were shouting fire and that the balconies and the gallery the, uh, the gal- galleries are giving way and um obviously Spurgeon was preaching to thousands of people and the, the 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 hall was so big that what happened on one side of the hall you wouldn't know on the other side of the yes. hall and when word got to him people had already been rushing out of the theater trampling on each other unfortunately if i remember correctly seven people were killed in the tragedy and 28 people were injured and it turned out there was no fire there was no emergency there was people just trying to disrupt the service and they it worked and that put Spurgeon, and, and this week was one of the worst weeks uh, for him when he was alive back then, in a great severe darkness where where he, he, he felt, he said, he felt like the Lord left him, like his soul had died. Mm. Um, but what I appreciate about Spurgeon and what, something I, I, I take away from this is that in Spurgeon we see that doubt is directional. That doubt either takes you away from God or in mm. Spurgeon's case, it, it, it pushes you to God. It, it makes sure. you run towards God. Yes. And despite Spurgeon feeling like he had been left by God, he pursued the Lord in prayer and meditation and scripture. 
And it was one day while he was sitting in the garden under a tree, it says, like a flash of lightning, it felt like a soul had returned to him and the fellowship with God he had at that moment. And from there on, he had never experienced in his life mm. before. Mm. And for me, you know, as someone who I tend to be like a David Brainerd, I think more towards the the heavier side of life compared to some of my friends that they just everything is just whistle whistle through life yeah and skip while they're doing it so for me that that's something that i take away from that that i appreciate that this great man the the great prince of preachers who had the severe struggles that people didn't see he went into the pulpit and he preached and people just wow this guy you know he's got the anointing as you said yeah and meanwhile he's struggling uh inside of himself but he his doubt pushed him to Christ, not further away from Christ. Mm. Hey, I mean, we're having a chat, the three of us, and I'm glad to have the chat. And Peter, thank you so much for bringing that in. But I am, I do recognize that people are listening in right now, uh, that there will be those who are struggling with doubt. There will be those who are struggling uh, with difficulty. There will be those that are struggling with the turmoils and the tribulation of this life. May this be an encouragement to you that those who are in Christ are not immune from the difficulties and the travails of this life. But those that, have, that are in Christ have Christ. <laughs> and uh, uh, when we are going through times of struggle in this life, friends, allow that to be a moment which drives you to your Savior, Jesus. Um, he says at the beginning, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he is enough to give you rest, even in your present moment of tribulation. Mm. Anything to add there, Jonathan? Yeah, I just uh, this, the story that Peter is sharing is, is so helpful because um, the verse that uh, Charles Spurgeon came to is from Philippians 2 and verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name and at the reading of that that verse uh, his strength returned and i believe he actually preached on that verse the following week and just a reminder that that in this that's where we should be driven to to the one who's been highly exalted uh, who has the name above every name mm. and the joy and meaning and life and all that comes with being in him yes. is there <laughs> now now i see we we're actually fast approaching the the top of the hour but i, I don't want to leave until we give a little bit more pastoral insight here because uh, a person might listen to that and say okay i must come to jesus but that sounds a little bit like uh, somebody saying take a panado for the pain but the pain right now is so deep mm. and the hurt is so great um, is that enough? And I, I want to affirm again that that is enough. But my friend, there are many means of grace that you might use in order to appropriate Jesus in the midst of your darkness. Um, you have been given prayer. Uh, you know, in the book of Romans, it talks about the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, um, causing us to, you know, groan, interpreting our prayers before the throne of God. We have prayer. Um, we have the Lord's table which is a means of grace to us as we come together with other believers and share in communion the body and the blood of Christ and remember uh, the great uh, price which Jesus has paid um, for us there's the fellowship of believers don't underestimate the fellowship of believers if you are in a dark place and yet you have alienated yourself from the people of God from communion and by communion I mean 
engagement, uniting yourself together with God's people, can I encourage you to, to go to church, find a good church, a Bible teaching church. And speaking of Bible teaching, sitting under the regular preaching of God's word is one of the means of grace which God gives us even in the midst of tribulation. And then um, also do not underestimate um, the way that God can minister to you through a pastor, through an elder, through a mature person of a local church in terms of counseling um, and speaking to you in the midst of trial and tribulation. No, no, that's that's so true. And uh, one of the one of the the things I appreciate about Spurgeon is how he he just calls people to Christ. And that's mm. what I always try to do. Is um, he, he makes it clear that you don't need to be intelligent or have a high IQ mm. or have everything sorted out. You don't need to be a scholar. We are ordinary people. <laughs> that, I mean, that's yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, Spurgeon would be very clear about that. Mm. And and quoting Paul, <laughs> you know, uh, we're not the princes of this world. Yeah. We're the people of this world, and, and we need Jesus. And again, to go back to a conversation we had, I think the last two Fridays is that Christ desires to save sinners. Yes. He desires to glorify His Father by saving sinners. That He's not up there at the right hand of God, seeing how He can catch you out. You know. Uh, you thought you believed, but you didn't. Ha ha! Not at all. That's like that's so not the Christ that we see from the scriptures. That He is the the meek and gentle and lowly Savior who calls those who are lost, those who are weary and tired, to Himself. And there's there's no greater hope. Just look mm. to Jesus. And maybe even to say, Peter, we, we do rightfully talk about the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. But that's not all he is. He's also God, eternal, mm. immortal, invisible, only wise. Mm. He, he has all the power in the universe. Whatever you are going through, however difficult your situation looks before you, the reality is Jesus is enough to get you safely through to the other end. Mm. Yesterday I was at a funeral uh, the preacher, uh, Charles, uh, from Central Baptist Church, was preaching from the book of Romans chapter 8 and specifically looking at the fact that God works out everything for the good. And the question is, well, who does he work that out for and what is the good? And ultimately the good is salvation and he works it out mm. for those who are in Christ, who love Christ on the one side of that refrain and for those who are called on the other side of that refrain. So the, the human response um, but this divine sovereignty that will not let go of us, never mind how dark and how desperate and how terrible things get, we are held safely in the hands of a God that is immutable and a God who is infinite and a God who is invincible. Friends, I'm looking at the time. It is three minutes past ten. It's time for a break. We are going to listen to Judas uh, Judas, uh, Judith, uh, Safuma sing my worship, and when we come back, we will continue the discussions with more Bible questions and answers. Be with you for what I can't believe is already the second hour of the show. Time has flown today. Um, really good to chat to both Peter and Jonathan in studio with me. You are obviously listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM. 
Uh, let me just remind you how you can engage in the show. A couple of questions have come through, but you still have a limited chance to get one or two questions in. We are a live listener engaged show, and you can join the conversation this morning by phoning into the studio. That's kind of how you get to the front of the line. <laughs> it's like a bit of a cheat. Um, but the studio number is 012-334-1322. You can also send us a WhatsApp or Telegram on 0826572729. And currently we're live streaming to Facebook. Our Facebook page is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. And if you drop a comment under the stream, we will see it live in show and be able to engage with you. I think the the comments and the questions that have come in over the last while have all come in via WhatsApp. Um, and so, Teresa, I can't believe, Teresa, you've only asked one question today. <laughs> like, Teresa, every single week last year sent in three questions. I kind of got to choose one. Uh, this morning, he just sends in one question. Do we apply confessions through prayer? Or through everyday speaking and what is the difference between that and speaking things into existence oh, okay um, it wasn't related directly to what I thought um, the first time that I read it uh, this is just kind of a question a general question related to confession and do we uh, apply a confession through prayer or through just an everyday speaking and what is the difference between that and speaking things into existence I can see a bit of a furrow on your brow Peter so let me take a stab at answering it and then I'll hand the ball over to you and to Jonathan um, so when we talk of prayer right prayer is literally speaking to God now God is infinite and God is invisible and God hears our prayers, whether we speak them out loud or whether we say them quietly in our mind. In fact, we see these different types of prayers all through scripture. I think of the book of Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah starts off with a prayer that is spoken when Nehemiah hears of the walls of Jerusalem kind of crashes and he's standing before the king and he says a very brief prayer before he speaks to the king and that prayer wouldn't have been out loud you know before the king uh, praying to almighty God he basically asked God to equip him and then he starts to engage with the with the with the king quiet prayers but we also see prayers spoken you mentioned the book of um, Genesis after Genesis comes Exodus and at the end of Exodus we have two spoken prayers first Moses's prayer which is um, a song and then uh, his sister Miriam sings another song um, but we have prayers the whole way through the book of Exodus as Moses speaks to God um, be on behalf of the people Levites later on um, uh, speak to God on behalf of the people and these prayers that are recorded are, are spoken prayers so to pray is to speak, whether we do that in our head or whether we do that out loud, it's to speak. Prayers of petition are to ask God for something. Prayers of adoration is to make much of God. Prayers of thanksgiving is to be great gratitude towards God. The fourth type of prayer is prayers of confession, and that's to come before God and and confess, agree with God, uh, that which we have done which falls short of his glory. Um, to confess our sins to God. Now, in terms of how do we apply these confessions, these acknowledgments of our sin, these agreements with God that we have sinned, well, that could be done speaking out loud. Um, that could be done silently in our heart as we confess the sins of our day before we go to sleep. Um, 
possibly lying in our bed um, or confess our sins as we wake up or hear a pastoral prayer confessing sins publicly and asking God um, to forgive us of our sins. The, the bottom line is though it needs to be spoken to God. It's agreement with God that what we have done is wrong. Anything to add in terms of confession and what confession actually looks like practically? Yeah, that <coughs> it's <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, just to affirm what you've said, it is uh, agreeing with God that what we've done is a grievous thing. Uh, sinning against the holy God is not a not a small thing, um, and it's saying we we agree with you that uh, I am a sinner. That what I have done is. Uh, absolute rebellion against you and I agree with you that this is something that uh, I must repent from and the only way to do that is to come to you and to agree again that uh, you are my only hope in this sin that still besets me, that still uh, that I still fall uh, prey to um, so it's agreeing with God and it's, it's saying to God that I don't know any better yes. <laughs> uh, you are sovereign you are God you are holy and uh, what I've done is uh, the opposite um, so uh, it really is again coming back to what we were saying earlier Christ's work from beginning to end and it's confessing that that is my uh, that is my hope in this in this and in, in this uh, thing that I'm bringing forward mm. to the Lord. Uh, how does that differ from positive uh, confession? Um, well, I, I guess it's the the content of the prayer. Uh, confessing your sins before God is agreement with God that you've sinned. Um, but speaking things into existence, that's not mm. really agreeing with God that you sinned. That's really mm. telling God, decreeing and declaring what you want. Mm. It's a it's a completely different type of communication to God it's a completely different motivation um, I don't think I mean not I don't think I know that scripture does not make a case that we can speak or declare anything into existence the reality is that power belongs alone to an omnipotent that's all powerful and infinite that's complete and all to the absolute extreme God mm. God speaks and things come into existence that's not what we do yeah, yeah. definitely and when we when we pray we humbly we petition God. We we ask Him. We don't demand mm. or create out of nothing, as you know. Like you mentioned, a lot of people think we uh, we can do. And so, I, 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 so I, I see quite a thick line between speaking things into existence and and confession. Just to summarize, basically, what you both said now: confession, agreeing with God yes. about Himself and about what what He says about you, and then what what a lot of people think of when they hear the term speaking things into existence is sort of having the power, the ability or the authority to just conjure things into your sphere of reality. That's not something we see in the Bible. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, Janice has a question. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to start with you. Um, why doesn't Jesus fix everything for me now? Hmm. Why doesn't Jesus... I mean, we all, we live in a fallen world. Things are a mess. You've put your faith and trust in God, who is all-powerful. Why doesn't He just fix mm. everything now? Sure, that's a that's a great question. It really is, and I, and I think that is our desire, particularly when uh, we go in through something that is particularly difficult. Um, and perhaps this uh, plays out from some of the conversation earlier in terms of of depression and. Uh, that's always our desire. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, this this expectancy, this longing for 
for what is to come. Um, and I don't think uh, we can answer that question to the fullness because uh, God has set in time when he will put all things uh, into complete uh, restoration and perfect all things completely. Um, but uh, on the reverse, he has um, in Jesus defeating sin and death, in Jesus coming, God has set in motion uh, the answer to that question. Why doesn't Jesus fix everything now? Well, he has, and yet that's still uh, there's still more of that to come. That's still going to be highlighted, and that's eternal blessedness and what that looks like. Hmm. And and um, you know, in that we also sometimes miss what God is is doing through through our pain and and how he's he's using that and how he's highlighting. I mean, the the, the you know the um, the playing out for for good for those who who love God. I think that's such a such an important verse in in Romans eight, and uh, really is. <laughs> I'm gonna jump back to Genesis if that's all right. Yes. But really is the the emphasis of of Joseph's life. I mean, uh, he says to his brothers in chapter fifty, "You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good." And had those um, things not taken place in the way they did, his slavery, his uh, you know mm. being thrown into prison, being forgotten in prison. Um, he wouldn't have been able to be presented as a savior to his brothers and his his father and eventually uh the, the nation of of Israel that would be birthed birthed from that so so god what and that's just such a joy is in our pain none of it is wasted mm, yes. god is playing it out for good and Definitely. there's such joy in that mm. but let's come back to the question itself he has uh okay. fixed everything but he's still going to yes. in its fullness and that's just Janice, so incredible. I heard a great illustration, a great analogy uh, yesterday um, on this, uh, that if uh, you were creating a tapestry, say a tapestry of, well, anything, a beautiful panorama, uh, you would not be able to use one color. You would need to use many colors uh, in terms of wanting to get the glory and the beauty um, out of a magnificent tapestry and so too mm. our lives are filled with many different types of events all of it though is intended to move us toward from one degree of glory to the next and to pre prepare us and make us fit for heaven's glories to come on the one side on the other side God has an amazing ability to take even the worst in this world. And by the worst in this world, I'm talking about a world which has fallen and which has been affected and infected by sin in every way. God has an ability to take even the worst in this world and ultimately use it for his glory. Now, his glory can sometimes be frightening. So, mm. for example, some of the worst in this world are atrocities that God will be glorified in as he judges them with vengeance at the end of days um, but but God's glory is is made complete in everything that we see around us he has the ability to transform and he has the ability to transform my life even the difficulties even the real um, the, the the real trials and tribulations that I'm presently going through God has the ability to use that ultimately to bring glory to himself and for my good and my good ultimately is salvation, to be mm. before him forever and ever with great joy. 
Definitely, and, and I also I'm thinking of James chapter one, starting in verse two, where James writes, "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And uh, I love this various trials of various kinds. It's not just the major ones. It's not just you know, life-threatening illnesses or sicknesses. It's uh, a flat tire. It's a it's a headache. It's uh, running into some financial troubles this month. It's various kinds of trials, and God uses them to shape our character. And and this is actually a, just a short important tangent. Is is this is what separates biblical counseling from all other types of secular psychology or counseling? Is that in biblical counseling, our primary focus is not on solving the problem. Our primary focus is getting the person who's seeking counsel to a position where they can glorify God, mm. where they are in a state of usefulness to Christ. And very often that is then closely followed or associated with a solving of the problem, but not always. Yes. Uh, we should understand, and I, I'm trying, I'm going to say this with as much love and tenderness in my heart as I really can and I mean is God is not primarily in the business of solving our problems. His first primary objective is to glorify himself. Mm. And sometimes that means meeting or going through trials of various kinds. Now the second question in the Baptist Catechism happens to be what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man, like the reason why we have been created our purpose, our function, the reason why we here in the first place is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And maybe just to remind our listeners that even us, our chief end isn't to have a happy, plentiful, um, joyful existence in this life, even though we are promised one in the life to come, those mm -hmm. of us who are in Christ Jesus. Our existence, both in this life and in the life to come, is to glorify God uh, in every way. Now, that was a bit of a transition into a segment I want to talk about, and that is a Baptist confession. What is a Baptist confession? I've got a new project I've been working on for the last uh, week, actually, um, and that's taking the Baptist uh, catechism. Did I say confession? I meant to say catechism. catechism. Guys, you must just correct me when I'm wrong, <laughs> please. Um, taking the Baptist catechism and started to work it out in uh, short video reels and um, basically reading uh, the question and giving the answer and explaining it just a little bit with a few verses. Um, and you might ask, well, what actually is a catechism? The answer is uh, the Baptist catechism. Um, is a series of questions and answers. It's old. It was written in 1677. Well, its first version was written in 1677. It was then updated in 1689, if I remember correctly, and adopted uh, a few years after that by a Philadelphia conference. But it's a, a series of questions and answers that summarize the main teachings of the Baptist faith. And it helps believers understand and articulate their belief. And it's also really useful as a prime for kids and as an introduction for believers who want to know more about what Baptists believe and a slightly revised revision or version which was brought forth by the Baptists as, as I said in 1689 in Great Britain was published by John Piper in Desiring God um, with sight 
linguistic modifications. So I've made a couple more, you know, like dropped out the words like unto and, and, and a couple of the older kind of English words and, and updated it slightly and then have added in some comments of my own. And we've begun to produce these in short video clips that are under a minute uh, that can go onto both Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and as uh, videos on WhatsApp. Uh, maybe just to say that you can find these. They're currently on the Central Baptist Church Pretoria's Facebook pages and Instagram pages and YouTube pages as shorts. Um, I'm learning all about this, by the way. This is I'm catching up. Um, but I have got an example of one wave file which I'm going to play for you now. This would be an example of the very first question, which is asked and answered. Who is the first and best of beings? The first question in the Baptist Catechism is who is the first and best of beings? And the answer is God is the first and best of beings. A being is a living entity with a distinct identity and there is no one and nothing bigger, better or more brilliant than God. Isaiah wrote, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And the psalmist sang, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. God is the first and best of beings. Partner with us by liking this video, sharing it, and following us. Find a link to the Baptist Catechism in our show notes, our profile, or our website, www.central.org.za. <laughs> okay, so there you go. That's catechism question number one and the answer to the catechism question number one, including a link for where you can find out more information about the entire Baptist Catechism. That's available at central.org.za slash article slash the Baptist Catechism. But maybe just to say that if you see that in your social networks um, on the interwebs, um, please do like and share with her family and friends so that we can get good content out as broadly as we can uh, using various different social mechanisms if you want more questions if you've got questions about that or want more information about that uh, please do drive those questions to either the Facebook page Pastor Mark Penrith uh, or you can ask questions on Central Baptist Church Pretoria um, and I can help you out uh, there that kind of brings us to half past 10 and Jonathan one of the primary reasons why you are with us today is that uh, yeah we want to get an idea of the local church that you serve um, we have had a disproportionate amount of churches from Kempton Park over the last re uh, over the last while maybe just to say guys th this is how this uh, worked out I, I, I sent out uh, questions um, uh, to a number of churches in my kind of various different networks that was the Baptist Northern Association and Solar Five Association of Churches uh, and a couple of friends uh, graduates from Christ Seminary uh, and we sent out uh, a mechanism so that they could uh, register their church and, and kind of uh, introduce us to local churches the, the intention is not just kind of to uh, promo local churches but it's also to get a sense of how things are going in local churches get a feel uh, uh, for how communities are going, what are the what are the strengths and the challenges, uh, things that are going well, and uh, and, uh, and and such uh, in local churches. And so maybe Jonathan, give the, you know a couple of minutes. Uh, who are you? And introduce us to the local church yeah. that you serve. 
Yeah, well, it's a joy to be here. Um, as, as you know from earlier, I'm Jonathan, and I've a particular joy of uh, pastoring Grace Baptist Church in Kempton Park. We're in uh, Van Rubiek Park and Sotpanspurger Road. And uh, yeah, that's a, a wonderful family church, and it truly is a, such a joy to... What, what is a family church? So when you say family church, yeah. what do you mean by that? I mean, on the one hand, a church that, that is a family. You come there, you you cared for, you loved. Uh, there's a sense of, of belonging, of, of fellowship, that this is a, a family that loves one another. But on the other hand, a family church is something that is not just young adults. It's not just uh, seniors. It's a, it's, a, it's a diverse mix of people representing... Well, really, the picture of heaven, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, diversity in demographics, diversity in ages, and a church that, uh, through that diversity, comes together in unity. Um, and for me, that's that's a family church, and that's something we, we pursue. And never quite uh, achieving it in any sense of perfection, yes. but uh, we are a family well, church. Well, it started now, and it's working its way it's, towards glory. It's working glory. its way towards glory, yeah, <laughs> where, absolutely. When, when do you meet, where do you meet, and yeah. what does a Sunday service look yeah. like? So we meet at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Um, as I said, we are in Van Rubiek Park, Kempton Park, um, Sotpansburg Road, and... Uh, yeah, as I said, we we are a diverse church, um, cross demographics, cross ages. Uh, we have um, Sunday school for the kids that run uh, concurrently with the service. Um, yeah, and our, we we worship together with a, a mix of of old and, and new songs, uh, glorifying God together, and that's that's very important when when you you you, you come to grace, realizing that we we worship authentically uh, in, in in the sense that. We prioritize congregational singing, where the congregation is collectively uh, glorifying God together. Yes, led by uh, a wonderful uh, music team, but uh, we do that simply and authentically, worshiping God. And then also the the you know it all moves towards the preaching of the word, and we yes. preach expositionally, book by book. Uh, it's all God's word, and it's it's all relevant, and so that's just incredible. Basically, joy. once a week, we drop a definition of what is expository <laughs> preaching, yeah. just because we do want to encourage people to look when they are looking for local churches, uh, to look for local churches where expository preaching uh, is front and center. So, mm. w- what is expository preaching? Just as a yeah. simple definition to the listeners, simply exposing the word of God. And what I mean by that is the topic is not our starting point. Uh, the the book of the Bible, the passage. That is our starting point, and we're leading out from there with uh, the the main point of that passage being the main points of the sermon and everything deriving uh, from God's word. Because our point is uh, understanding such that we can glorify and apply, uh, uh, or glorify God in applying His His word and seeing that that come out. So the uh, it's different to to topical in the sense that topical i'm going to look for scripture to back up what i'm saying whereas in expositional preaching i'm explaining what god has said okay yeah. and and then applying it and applying it yeah that's of, important uh, of the years so so you you said expository preaching book by book verse by verse so what you're currently preaching through why did you choose that yeah. book or that section so so currently we're preaching through genesis as as i mentioned earlier yes. um a journey we started right in the beginning of 2020 just before uh sure. lockdown started at the time there was a sense of 
this COVID that wasn't yet a thing yet in, in South Africa, it was uh, another continent's problem. Uh, we they hadn't been quite that connect, but looking at at preaching through that and and trying to understand uh the the hope in something like that the meaning in uh the the fallenness of this world and the yes. plan was to stop at uh, chapter 3 okay yeah we got to chapter 3 um it, it happened that the first sunday we we started preaching was the sunday just before the the hard lockdown happened so last sunday uh in church and we preached through that mostly online got to chapter three and we just said this is too good yeah <laughs> and yeah. we kept going <laughs> and uh we only now are starting to wrap it up not that we've uh every sunday preached consistently through genesis we have taken breaks of we've, course we um we did an extended series in in timoth one timothy last year for six months um we, we came back to genesis we've taken breaks in between because uh, it is a lengthy narrative and uh there's a lot of content and a, a lot to grasp um but it's been such a such an incredible blessing, uh, both both to myself as I prepare, and and I think to the congregation as well. Help me help me out here. You keep on using the the word we, uh, which is plural. Um, who does the preaching? How does yeah. that work? How do, uh, yeah. So, it's a joy um, in realizing that a scripture talks to a plurality of elders, uh, a team of uh, faithful men who's. Uh, responsibility is to is to lead is to to teach is to give themselves to the the preaching of the word and and uh, to pray and i'm blessed to serve along uh, two other men who we've uh, called as elders that uh, share some of the the preaching load with me that there's a collectiveness in uh, uh the decision making and thinking through these things and i it's such a joy to be able to say we that it doesn't all fall on me yes. and uh, I think that's such a beautiful picture of God's design for the local church um, oh, yeah, uh, certainly I mean you've mentioned 1 Timothy and uh, such a beautiful picture of God's design for the local church mm. maybe just to affirm I, I do think a mark of a healthy church is biblical leadership and um, whilst not every good Bible based church is going to have a plurality of elders um, because we mustn't be hasty in the laying on of hands and sometimes there won't be people who are qualified uh, and competent uh, to serve or able to serve uh, in a specific time um, when we do see healthy eldership pluralities of elders we certainly want to celebrate those and affirm that that's what we see in the New Testament oh, that's uh, wonderful uh, where's God at work in your community uh, be that your church or your city yeah. I think overall, I've thought of this question a lot, um, and and overall, I have to, I really have to come back to everything that played out, um, you know, during COVID, uh, just in terms of our, our community, Greater Kempton Park. Uh, Kempton Park really is a is a gated uh, community. There's lots sure. of lots of enclosures uh, yeah. on the one hand because of uh, crime and and things like that, or to uh, be a buffer against against that. Um, and what we saw during lockdown is, you know, in that and despite that, uh, there was a, a hunger for, for God's word, uh, moving away from uh, some of your prosperity teaching to, uh, I actually want to hear God's word preached from beginning to end. Yes. And that was an incredible joy to see how, uh, you know, when we were able to meet again, uh, some of those families started coming and being exposed to 
um, you know, our, our YouTube page. And it's not what's what's a joy about that is it's it's not just a trend for for Grace Baptist Church, but also uh, many churches who who preach biblically and I mean, really saw saw God so do cool. that. <laughs> we actually we actually hearing that same testimony yeah, yeah. over and over again that Bible teaching churches have experienced a net gain mm. um, over the COVID period as people were both exposed to biblical teaching but then sorted out um, as churches opened have, have actively gone to find Bible teaching churches to get connected to. Absolutely. Oh, that's like wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then in the church we've just seen uh, God keep us and sustain us through difficult years prior to COVID but also you know in COVID losing uh, key members to COVID and also some of the the play out of that but God has been just so faithful to to us as a body and has really really kept and and sustained us in an amazing way and just the fact that he's uh, instilled and, and raised up uh, godly elders uh, godly deacons uh, you, these are not things we should <laughs> look over. No. The fact that that we have that uh, to the glory of God, He's done that, yes. and uh, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, so, as I said, we've seen new families come in through through COVID, post COVID, um, and uh, we've been on this this journey of uh, since the beginning of last year, being a church that that makes disciples, that makes disciples, and and starting to 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 get the ball rolling in in what that looks like and and how that's that's played out in the local church because that's that's our point isn't it so to yes. be disciples of the the Lord Jesus Christ and um so we've seen uh, we've uh, structured it in the sense that we have uh or, or moving towards having smaller groups that disciple one another and when they are finished um over a process of a number of months taking on uh, more people and more people as more groups develop and the point is um, to continue this process of making disciples and make disciples and make disciples and we've seen uh, the Lord just instill that and uh, uh, we're not there yet and we're not going to arrive this side of eternity (laughs) Um, but uh, the Lord has been so faithful in that and and seeing those groups uh, start to happen and and build that's a joy I was at an event yesterday and somebody came up to me and very excitedly told me that their son had started uh, attending a church where we had interviewed the pastor recently. Wow. Uh, and that was like super exciting for me because like I know my mom listens on a, on a Friday <laughs> and I know my wife listens on a Friday, but it's always great to hear that other people listen as well. And so, uh, yeah, I was, I was like really encouraged by that. I have no doubt that there's folk that are listening, uh, possibly in Kempton or living near the church. Uh, give me kind of like why, why should they consider visiting you guys? Yeah, well, we we preach the word, and if you want to hear the word preached, uh, if you want to hear uh, or underst- uh, hear the word and understand the word and apply the word and uh, to the glory of uh, the one that the word testifies to, uh, come to us. We, as I said earlier, we're a family church. If uh, you've got kids, you've got uh, you're a young family, you an older family, you you're retired. Uh, we're a family church and, and you're welcome. Um, we worship authentically. Uh, there's room for you to get involved um, and use your, your giftings. But uh, we we are a church that uh, preaches a word and, and worships authentically. So 
So come along if um, you want to hear the word preached, if you want to worship authentically, and you want to get involved, if you want a family church, um, then uh, come have a look. Jonathan, as you've been talking, Peter uh, dropped the email, uh, the website address uh, for Grace Kempton into the Facebook comments. So if you're listening currently, the, the, the website address is in the Facebook comments. It's Grace Baptist kp.co.za so that would be for Grace Baptist Kempton Park so gracebaptistkp.co.za I'm on your website really really useful and um, basically there's a what to expect very first link if people click there I'm assuming you tell them a little bit about the Sunday experience so that they're not overwhelmed when they come and then uh, the very next link is sermons which I have no doubt will help some people get get a gauge um, for you guys and how the preaching works Uh, so good job on the website and I hope that if you are listening in right now and you are in the area of Van Riebeck Park you have the opportunity um, uh, to go and check out uh, Grace Kempton Park and Jonathan thank you so much for joining us today it's it's really been good having you with us thanks for having me it's been a real joy oh cool well we we do want to continue this you know we we want to engage with local churches Uh, it's such a blessing to hear from local church pastors it's such a blessing to hear a a number of similarities in testimonies particularly that um, whilst COVID was devastating for us as a country and has resulted in both loss of life as well as in um, folk falling away even from the faith uh, the reality is a number of people have been coming into local churches and like we just celebrate together with pastors that the kingdom is winning and Jesus Christ is building his church Amen. soul by soul uh, Langa does say morning I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Langa great to have you with us uh, on table talk with Mark and Peter on a Friday morning I've certainly enjoyed this Friday morning. Peter, as we draw to an end to a close of the discussion this morning, anything that you want to add in terms of content that we've covered or anything that we ought to cover? Yeah, I was thinking there is a quote that that I actually have a few short quotes from Spurgeon here and um, one of them is actually relevant to the topic that we discussed just before we went on break in terms of the experiencing difficulties in life. Yes. And I know you also shared this quote that sometime last year where Spurgeon, in, in one of his sermons, he said that God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you mm. can trust his heart. I love that quote. I really That's do. That's amazing. <laughs> like, like in the midst of life's difficulties, I know my Jesus. I, I, I've met him. Um, I know him. I don't just know about him, um, but in his word and by his spirit moving in my heart, I know Jesus. And I know that he is kind and gentle and and glorious. And Spurgeon just captures it so well. He was so pithy. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And uh, another quote that he gave is, Whenever God means to make someone great, he always breaks him in pieces first. Wow. Um, so that's... Uh, Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, when God puts us in the furnace to purify us, yeah. it's hot. It's yeah. uh, un- unpleasant very often. So. I mean, if you want like a, a buster 
gospel, the prosperity gospel. Just go and take a look at the life of the Apostle Paul constantly in jail, of Joseph, who we spoke about in prison, of Moses and his sufferings before Pharaoh and then sufferings before the people of God as they walk through the wilderness. Um, uh, the reality is God's people do struggle and God often does break us into pieces before he builds us up and glorifies himself. Mm. Um, <laughs> Gideon and Penny, who's now in Zambia, um, up in the north of Zambia, uh, Gideon and Penny would often say uh, it's uh, through trials that we have a testimony. You know, it's mm. it's through the trials that we have a testimony. My favorite Spurgeon quote, which I quote to my children all the time, is it was by perseverance that the snail reached <laughs> the ark. <laughs> Spurgeon had a great sense of humor. Definitely. I, 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 enjoyed, I, I enjoy reading him. Maybe just to say how you can connect with Spurgeon, because we've got, we got a, a little bit of time. I don't know about you. You might connect with Spurgeon through his books. Um, certainly, there's a biography which I can commend to people. Well, two biographies, because I kind of always recommend two biographies. Um, the one is a very short biography written by John Piper. It's available on the Desiring God website. Uh, it is the equivalent of, I'm going to go with 5,000 words, maybe. You can read it in one sitting very, very easily, and it kind of outlines the main uh, uh, story of Spurgeon and his main contributions to the Christian faith. Good biographical material written by John Piper. The second is a book, and it's one of my favorite biographies. It was written by Ian Murray, I think, The Forgotten Spurgeon. Mm. I might be Is it Ian Murray, The Forgotten Spurgeon? I think so. Easy to read, uh, I think maybe teenage level reading. Um, but I, I mean, I read it as a pastor. I really enjoyed it. It was a good, good read. And then um, the the third is how I actually I actually engage and interact with Spurgeon, and that is off a website called Spurgeon Gems. Uh, mm. That's just his name and the word gems at the end, G E M S. And uh, Spurgeon Gems just has all of his. Um, sermons uh, laid out a couple of sermons that are read that you can listen to on mp3 on your uh, watch as you go for a jog I'm just kidding um, or however you engage with sermons um, I, I don't I don't listen to the, the sermons that have been read because we've only got I think one recording well we've got some recordings of his son mm. but Spurgeon himself uh, existed in the world before that kind of media um, so they read by other people but Spurgeon James uh, I think is a site put together by I stand corrected Phil Johnson mm. and uh, is just a compendium of all of Spurgeon sermons and I, I just love reading uh, Spurgeon didn't preach exactly the same way as what I, I would commend people to look for in a good church uh, which would be expository preaching um, he he was bibbling and everything that he did um, but uh, and he preached on a on a very wide ambient of scripture, but not necessarily book by book and verse by verse. Um, although many of his sermons contain a, a, a portion of them, which is uh, an exposition on a number of verses as he worked through books, but then would preach on a verse of his own choosing. A very interesting uh, engagement. Um, thanks, Peter put the website spurgeongems.org uh, into the show notes on the Facebook 
page. Maybe just also to remind listeners that this whole conversation is being podcast, and the mm. podcasts are now going out in a much more user-friendly fashion. Uh, Peter does some great work cutting them up into questions and cutting them up into the interview sections, so you can find the podcast uh, and then splitting the the way that the podcast is sent out over a couple of days, and um, so it's it's much more accessible as it comes in. Uh, thanks very much for all of that work, Peter. Really appreciate it. And you can find the Table Talk uh, podcast wherever you get good good podcasts. So whether it's Apple, whether it's Google or rono.fm, you can find the podcast. I have no doubt that if you go to the radiopulpit.co.za website, the podcast is also available there. Mm. You can find it there in whatever format um, and start to engage with the Table Talk podcast. Thanks, Peter, for that. Yeah, it's a privilege. Um, and thank you for our listeners because this week, I mean, we're reaching the 200 listening mark just with those individual segments. Um, our live stream last week had something like over 400 views, the live stream. Cool. And uh, the individual podcast sections, just this last few days, people have been sharing it and I'm thankful for that. It's it's good. And if people have suggestions on how we can improve it, please uh, share those suggestions and maybe to say both Peter and I are available to you uh, you can engage with both of us I'm guessing most easily on Facebook mm. um, so uh, if you go and search for Peter Smith um, he's on Facebook if you go and search for Pastor Mark Penrith you'll find a Facebook page and that's probably the best way to message me Jonathan if people want to get hold of folk uh, if people want to get hold of Grace Baptist Kempton Park what's the best way of contacting you so all our, all our contact details are, are on our website, um, but you can also drop me a personal email at jonathan at gracebaptistkp.co.za and I'll be able to, to get hold of you that way. But all our information is on our website, so you can go there to the Contact Us page and uh, you can get hold of it, us that way. Otherwise, just pop in. <laughs> okay, yeah. great stuff. Sundays. And what time is your Sunday service? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, friends, we're going to close the show a little bit early this morning. We're going to be listening to Kim Walker-Smith sing In Your Presence. But until next week, Friday, when we get together to talk about God's Word and engage in Bible questions and answers, do walk wisely, do live holy, and do testify zealously to His praise and glory. Amen.